Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. and welcome to the Awards Tour podcast. I'm Jacqueline Coley. From the moment she decided to audition at the Juilliard School of Theater in New York, Danielle Brooks has embraced the synergy of full circle moments. Just this year, she earned a SAG nomination, a Golden Globe nomination, and hopefully a soon-to-be Oscar nomination for her work as Sophia in the musical adaptation of The Color Purple. I come here out of respect. But if there ain't nothing to get, that show ain't nothing to get. A Broadway production she watched as a teen and she would later star in some 10 years later in the stage production revival. Then, just a few short years after that, she got the fateful call from Miss Oprah Winfrey herself to play Sophia yet again. Even her work on The Color Purple interacts with her most recognizable role as Tasty in Orange is the New Black. Pulling double duty filming both simultaneously as not only a commitment to the role she was playing, but to the craft of being a working actor, she started her days at 5 a.m. on set of the television show to follow that up with eight shows a week at night on Broadway. A true commitment. We sat down with her recently and discussed those full circle moments and what they mean and how the daughter of a minister could use those early days performing in the church to give her a thirst for acting and how she had to fight even more tenaciously in those early days to translate that thirst into a vibrant and incredibly diverse body of work on stage and screen. A true theater actor at her heart, after graduating from Juilliard in 2011, she has since made a name for herself playing icons like Mahalia Jackson and alongside names like Alfre Woodard, Viola Davis, Taraji P. Henson, Whoopi Goldberg, Fantasia Barino, and the entire cast of The Color Purple, led by producer Oprah Winfrey. Though much has been made in the press in recent weeks about the plight of Black actresses to be seen and valued on and off screen, when we sat down with Brooks, it was just moments after she had been present to witness Angela Bassett, an inspiration to every Black actress in Hollywood, finally receive her honorary Oscar from the Academy Awards after two nominations. This, for me, is not just another award. It's a testament to my legacy. This trophy represents my contributions to this medium of film. All that I've given of my mind, body, and spirit as an actress who is a black woman. 
And as host John Mulaney so hilariously quipped, what an accomplishment the latter nomination for Wakanda Forever happened to be. Here's what a great actor Angela Bassett is. She got an Oscar nomination for a Marvel movie. That's like getting a Pulitzer Prize for a Reddit comment. Jokes aside, one of the most powerful moments of that evening was when Angela took to the stage and highlighted all the Black actresses that came before her, adding words of encouragement for those that came after, referencing and looking directly at the color purple table in particular. So please listen as we chat with Emmy, SAG, and Golden Globe nominee Danielle Brooks about that incredible moment her work on stage and screen, the difficulties of consistent work as a Black actress in Hollywood, and why even the current brass at Netflix, far removed from her time there, acknowledge that she and her Orange is the New Black co-stars are quite literally the foundation upon which the streaming giant Netflix built its billion-dollar global reach. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the interview portion of the Awards Tour podcast. I am here with an Emmy-nominated, Golden Globe-nominated, and as of today, SAG-nominated actress, Miss Danielle Brooks. Uh, welcome, ma'am. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. Hearing you say all of that is like, with my name attached, <laughs> this is good stuff. It's good stuff. It's such a journey, too. And I want to talk about your journey because I, I loved um, reading on your history, getting ready for this interview. I've been a fan of yours, obviously, since Orange is the New Black. But there's some recent history that you got to witness that I want to talk about. And that is watching Angela Bassett accept her Oscar. And look, I think now, by the time this comes out, everyone will have seen that incredible speech that she gave, but you were in the room for it. And a part that people that are watching the video don't know is when she came up there and she said to my black actresses, she was pointing at y'all. Like that? Directly at me. To my fellow black actresses. Yeah. Fill your hearts with courage. I was very shocked. I mean, y'all, I do believe, because, you know, when you say y'all, that was me, Taraji, and Fantasia. But it was really felt like what she was talking about was for the younger generation coming underneath her. And so I just felt every word pointed at myself. And I'm and it's just been like incredible to watch this woman, especially because you were there. They played the real of her career. And when you watch how full that career is and the passion and heart, I couldn't do anything but weep. I, I remember grabbing my head like so, like, but just like, and I said, oh, because I could not believe this woman is just now receiving this honor, but the way in which she walked with grace the entire time and patience, knowing that this moment will come and how great it was, Jay, to see her and know that like 
everybody's time comes when it's supposed to. And to know, like, we think it should go one way and she should have won last year and gave that speech. Now we got to hear this woman talk for 15 minutes and go all around the world uh, referencing the greats like Maya Angelou and, 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 and talking about people like Hattie McDaniel and speaking about speaking their names, these women, the 10 women who have been awarded Oscars and the Oscars has been going on for years and years past 1940s and only 10 women, 10 black women have been awarded Oscars. How incredible. And to sit in that room and know that I'm not I'm in a category of not just me, but I'm going to speak her name too. Davine Joy Randolph. Yeah. Is there as well. Yeah. And we're getting to walk this together. It was so incredible. And it just it's like as a young girl that studied at Juilliard and, you know, watched people like Viola Davis and Angela and and Octavia and all of these women, Regina, all of them to be in the room for there to be a space carved out for me in the room. It's just like it can't get no better than that. And you have to think about what that was like for her in 93 to be walking in those steps with so few steps that she got to walk behind. I mean, maybe a handful at her time. And now, even though those numbers are not what we want, the fact that you're in a category this year where, again, it's not a competition because it is such a sisterhood. The fact that you're, as you know, as it says in, in The Color Purple, I'm here. Y'all are here. Yes, we're here. <laughs> we're here. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was such an incredible moment. And I, and I will say this because I'm nothing against the other drama schools. They're going to come for me on this. But Yale and Juilliard. That is, in my opinion, has given us so many incredible Black actresses. And it's crazy that that's the same thing again here with yeah. Divine and with you, Yale and Juilliard, still yeah. battling out as you always have. But do you feel like looking back on it at that time, it had to have been scary as a Black actress at that time. This is before, let's be honest, um, the 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 push for diversity both on screen and behind the camera you may have gotten a job on screen but they would put you in a marginalized and stereotypical role that you didn't want to portray mm-hmm. like did you dream of this moment because look you don't go into those programs thinking of playing the best friend or the you're dreaming of these huge roles but then the reality of hollywood sometimes rips that dream from you yeah. How, what? How was it sort of reconciling that for you? Did you find that that was the same stumble or did you find that the things that you dreamed on in Juilliard ended up being things that you could immediately jump into when you started in the business? Ooh, girl, I mean, coming out of Juilliard, well, first of all, being entering into Juilliard, I thought there was only space for one of us because that's all I had experienced growing up going to the school called Governor's School for Arts and Humanities, I was the only Black girl in the drama class. So I didn't know that there could be room. So I go to Juilliard, there's only, they're only accepting 18. And I'm nervous because when they did the final 40, they bring 40 to uh, the final audition to select their 18 students for that year. There was only three Black women. So I was very much like, is, is it, 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 will I make it? 
And then they accepted myself and Jakina Kalikango, who ended up winning a Tony uh, a year or two ago, who's a good friend of mine. And so that began the trajectory for me of there is room for all of us. There's a space for all of us in this thing. And I really started out with the mindset of just going the theater route because TV, TV and film, yes, that's cool, but I, I my passion has always been theater. It's been the process of making and bringing the story together and developing the story and then sharing that with a live audience and feeling them, you know, right there in the in the room. They are a character too. So we're building this story together and and seeing it firsthand, the effect you're having on people. That was where I was really living. So it wasn't until Orange is the New Black that really sprang for me this idea of like, oh, there's way more possibility for where I could go. And what was scary in that moment for me was I have a voice now. So people are actually like caring about what I think and 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 the the causes that matter to me and who I am as a person versus theater. You can just go do your show, meet people, sign in autographs and you go home. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I, I have I, what is what do I care about? What is what are the things that the stories that I want to tell? And, you know, what what are those things? But I guess subconsciously I was always dreaming towards being one of those women that I did witness in movies. And I just didn't know it at the time because I am that kid that would sit in front of the TV and watch the Oscars like I was watching the Super Bowl. Like that was the Oscars was my Super Bowl because I knew that those women that looked like me were going to leave me a message, a message of encouragement. It's the same way Angela Bassett said in her speech, she said um, she described it as beacons of possibility. That's what I was getting, that beacon of possibility for my life. So now I'm in a position where I'm getting to speak out more and I'm getting to express myself more and not only in the limelight, but like with the art that I do, the work that I do, I can go and play Beatrice in Shakespeare in the park and make $2, but I'm doing it because I'm showing that I can be a beacon. I can be a leading lady. Women that look like me can play Beatrice, you know, in a servant of, uh, and, 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 um, Damn it, I'm forgetting the damn name of the, <laughs> the Shakespeare play. Oh, um, Much Ado About Nothing. Much yeah. Ado About Nothing. Thank you. Um, being in that. And so it's just been incredible. Like when you start to find the reason for the journey, like the re- your purpose of why you're receiving the things you're supposed to or the reasons you're not receiving the things that you're supposed to, like everything starts to make sense the longer that you go along. And I feel like that's what I've witnessed. I'm taking it back to Angela Bassett, but like that's what I witnessed watching her is that just keep on going. It's just like, you know, that cheesy movie, um, Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And that's what I just keep telling myself on this journey. Just keep swimming. You got this, girl. You you know, your people that came before you, they had a lot to go through. And like you described it, those steps, they've 
they've imprinted way more steps for me to follow. Uh, and you're doing the same for somebody else. Well, it's so interesting that you talk about Beatrice because I wanted to talk about two roles in theater because yes, we're going to talk about The Color Purple and obviously Sophia is the reason why we're really here. But looking at Bernice and Beatrice, Mm. I think if you had to look at the ability when we allow ourselves to allow Black representation to see all of itself, they are perfect examples of that. First, you have August Wilson, and just living in the Black experience. It's so tangible, it's so real. It's like you have to know what a hot comb is for you to play this role. But then there's Beatrice, where this was not in William Shakespeare's wildest dreams, let alone nightmares, that this would be a version of Beatrice. But there is a reality and a specificity and then an authenticity to that performance as much as when like Emma Thompson played it. Or, you know, I think uh, I saw Helen Bottom Carter also do Beatrice. And I have to wonder as an actor, do you approach your roles that way? Because I feel like you have had already in this moment sort of like a vast sort of swath of the things that you can get to do on screen. Or are you really just trying to find the next person that speaks to you? Like what what was it about those two particular roles? When you think about those as stage plays, you didn't do them back to back. But just those two things being the two things you did together. How did you come to each one of them? Both of them kind of found me. And I think that's how I've been playing my career thus far is letting the opportunities seek me out. And so um, for for the piano lesson, playing Bernice, that was kind of like one of those God-ordained moments because I was actually eight months pregnant when I got the call from my agent saying they wanted me to play her uh, alongside Samuel Jackson and John David Washington with Latanya Jackson Richardson directing. And I about fell out and had the child right there because I was like, I cannot believe I'm having another full circle moment, which is like been the trajectory of my full career has been these full circle moments, which I know we'll talk more about. But I was so excited. And again, one of those roles, one of those moments where I don't care how much I'm getting paid. This one means something to me because that was the part that I had auditioned for Juilliard. I auditioned for Juilliard with Bernice from the piano lesson. And that was the first August Wilson play I read in high school. So that woman her story led me to this moment and and it meant so much to me when I was 15 and studying um, the piano uh, lesson, because at that time my grandmother had passed away and my godmother had passed away. And those two women meant so much to me. And as you know, the piano lesson is about family and and your ancestors and what they're leaving you and, and, and the history of that. So it meant a lot to me. And not only that, that I used that part to get into Juilliard, I didn't have no money to get into Juilliard. I didn't have anything. Unfortunately, my parents had not enough money. I was their first child. They were not ready for, you know, the college um, financial burden. And that godmother who passed away, Annie Edge, I love you so much. She left $20,000 in her will for me to attend college. And that's what helped me to pay my first tuition of college. So 
getting to then step into this role and honor her with playing this woman on Broadway. It's like, and didn't have to audition, by the way. I was just let's like, let's give a thankful for didn't have to audition. Can we, can we say amen? <laughs> that is what blew my mind. So that's what I mean when some of these roles, they come to me. But when it came to Beatrice, Kenny Leon, the wonderful Kenny Leon came to me about this part. And again, I immediately said, yes, I'm going to do this for no money <laughs> because it's about the storytelling. Like I've always had a passion for Shakespeare, but what I've enjoyed about it is making it my own, making it relatable, having people come up to me and say, I understood every word of what you were doing and saying, because I think Shakespeare and August Wilson are both very relatable uh, playwrights because they get so specific that it becomes general uh, story about humanity. And, and it can really tap into everybody's um, way of life and, and who they are as a, per, uh, as a people. So that one was so much fun to me. And also like, it was the first time I walked on a stage without any nerves because I was five months pregnant playing that part. And I always was like, I'm just going to blame it on pregnancy brain if I go up on a line. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I, I feel like for me, I, I put I'm a manifester. I put it out in the atmosphere what I want and, uh, and and if it's supposed to land on my lap, it will. And I'm learning day in and day out to accept when it doesn't, too, you know. Um, that's been my, my biggest thing right now is just praying for me to be prepared for whatever is coming my way. And to be able to, like that saying says, accept the things that I cannot change and the courage to ch ch know the difference or so I just um, that's what I've been leaning on. I mean, look, I, I'm glad you're leaning on it. Um, it's funny that you say full circle moment, too, because I feel like everyone comes back to the theater. So like that's always going to be like a full circle moment on it. But I love that that's such a big part of your DNA and who you are being a theater actor, because not everybody leads with that after they do other things. Right. Like you've done multi-million dollar movies. You've done, you know, prestige television shows and, and miniseries. And a lot of people may say, well, that was my theater days, but not. But I love how you come back to it. With yeah. that in mind, before we sort of close the chapter on the... Um, the theater. The, on the theater. <laughs> um, give me your show rituals. Because everyone, theater people, y'all are the most superstitious, ritualized people I've ever met in my entire life. Oh, y'all all have like, I got to have this meal. I got to go by this place to do oh, my... <laughs> I feel like you, like, I feel like you could really get it from my dresser. She would probably tell you everything that I would do. I, well, it's different for each show, but I try not to eat too much before a show because it'd be too full and too, like, slouchy. I do not like knowing when people come, but that does not work when you're in a show with Samuel Jackson because he does no. not care. He will tell you Robert De Niro is here tonight and does not care. Michelle Obama is in the house and does not care. So I've really had to adjust to that one. But... I do always need like a TV in my room to kind of like distract me from things. I need a bed uh, or something to lay on a cot or some of some sort. But I'm a note. I'm a um, notes kind of girl. So like 
I leave a bunch of um, sticky notes around my room. And I, every day before the show, like I'll put it on the door, like today it'll be like, you're good enough or um, go out there and slay girl, like just something. And I leave them up or a scripture or something um, to remind myself if ever that doubt creeps in, that's telling me I'm not good enough. I always can combat it with some affirmation. No, that's a good one. I, I think I need that one because I'll get up in it and I'll be like, I'm going to cuss this person out today. I don't <laughs> care. There's not enough healing for me in this moment. But I'm glad that you still keep it. You keep it good. That's why you're, you're, your smile is infectious. And from the moment people saw you, I think that was. Because the very first time I saw you on Orange is the New Black, that was the first thing I saw you in. I was yeah. like, this is infectious. Like what you did with Tasty, your smile and everything was so infectious. But it's crazy looking back on that now. You guys were the canary in the coal mine with these big streaming shows. And oh, I just yeah. have to think, we've they've definitely been talking about the conversation right now of like the things you have to fight for as a woman of color in this industry. And I just look back on it now, it's like, Thinking about y'all made Netflix like in a, in so many ways, like I don't think people can appreciate that that. Yes, they had House of Cards, but your show and how wide that show went since you've been on this color purple tour. Have you sort of appreciated that or when did you appreciate that? Because I know they translated into every language and it goes into all these different yeah. countries. But I have to imagine that was probably a several freak out moment for you as you realize the scope and the reach of this global streaming brand. It's not a TV show. It's not yeah. a play. Everybody yeah. knows you now. I have to tell you, I was up there today. I had a meeting today there at Netflix. And Jacqueline, I couldn't believe it. Even the the studio head I was meeting with had to acknowledge <laughs> that we had a huge impact in the scope of what Netflix has become. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. Because when I started out on that show in 2012 or 13, something in there, it was considered a web series. So now it's become this massive machine that has really changed the way in which we watch television. And to be a part of that um, has been pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been pretty dope. Like I I hope like like I know the show will go and hit down in history, you know, for the phenomenon that it was. It definitely was the people's choice. But I just hope that the history books also let them know that shows like House of Cards and Orange is a New Black were the things that really led it to be what it is that we know it is today. Well, I'm not going to let them forget it. That's, that's <laughs> on God on that one, um, because I will not. Looking back, because now it's what? Um, it's coming up on like almost like 15 years, almost like 12, 13 years since your first episode. Like this is a lot, over a decade, right? Oh my God. What is the most tangible thing that you can recall from that time? And when you think back on it, because they come fuzzy as it gets further back. And obviously there's the people, but I'm sure there's like, is there a scene? Is there a moment? Is there a day that you're like, this yeah. one goes into the memory vault? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize I was shooting Orange is a New Black, the fifth, fourth and fifth season of Orange while doing The Color Purple on Broadway. I do yeah. remember this. <laughs> yeah. So I was doing double duty. And anyone that knows anything about shooting television, it takes a lot of hours and a lot of time. And so I would go in at four or five in the morning, start hair and makeup, wouldn't wrap until maybe 12, then 
have the driver take me to the theater on 42nd Street, start rehearsals from like 1 to, say, 6 p.m., have an hour for dinner, and then go straight into a play, do a two-and-a-half-hour show, and then greet fans after that show, and then do it all over again. So I, I don't know if people really understand how much. And the thing about what we do as theater, and I'm, I'm going to try to close that chapter too, but it's it's almost very similar to an athlete. You have to reserve your voice. You can't go out and eat cheese and dairy and hang out with your friends till late at night. So it was a lot of sacrifice. But I remember doing, you know, playing Sophia and then coming in to do the scene where Poussey dies and is killed by the cop. And just how heavy that day was for me, having to, you know, sob over her body over and over again. And I remember the director saying, all right, we're done we, with that scene. And then like maybe 10 minutes later, he came back and he was like, Danielle, I'm so sorry. We got to shoot it again. And I went to the the writer, Lauren at the time, uh, who is actually Samira Wiley's wife now. Partner, yeah. yeah. And I was like, sis, I don't think I can do this again. I don't know how I can tap into this. I'm, I'm like drained emotionally. And she just, encouraged me and was like, you got it inside of you. You have it inside. And we delivered what we did. And I just, that's what I feel like I'm left with is just the work and the dedication to the work that these stories, these people that we were playing, how important it was to give all of ourselves, even if we were so drained. And I remember like, cause that was a cafeteria scene. So everybody was in the room and just the respect from my peers, my acting peers that just had my back and wasn't playing around on set because they didn't have any lines. They held me down so that I could deliver what I needed to. And so that's just something that sticks with me, because even when I shot the movie of Color Purple, there was a moment where we were at the dinner scene and I have to deliver this very painful um, experience of, you know, her coming back and finding herself. Um, and, and, and that was just a lot emotionally to do. And it was, again, one of those moments where I thought I was done and then we have to come back and shoot it. And I thought I was done and we had to come back another day and shoot it. So it's, it was one of those things of like, where am I going to pull from? How can I find this moment? But um, when you're doing work that's meaningful, that matters, that you know people will be healed and changed, and that these things that will just impact us forever, you just cannot not do the work. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Like yes. sacrifice a bit of yourself yeah. for the art. And that's what I feel like I've had to do several times. <laughs> Within my career. Yeah, I think actors, too, if they're doing it the way you're doing it, and obviously you are, they're just giving away a little bit of themselves with every little role. And, like, I don't blame any of them being like, I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, you're giving so much of it away. Or sometimes maybe the work that you do gives you a break because it's lighthearted or whatever. I want to talk about this, though. As the daughter of a minister... Mm-hmm. How much of that was playing into your selection 
to being Robin Roberts, Mahalia Jackson? And then also, how much was that added pressure? Because I think of like me, if my parents owned a restaurant and then I decided to go play a chef, like they're going to have notes. Like they're going to have things they're going to talk about. And like the daughter of a minister, you're going to play Mahalia Jackson. You might as well just say like, I'm ready for you to call me every day about everything I did right and wrong. <laughs> like, like, Or was that like, you know, you got it and you knew that that would make it. I'm just curious, like how that played out for you. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Mahalia. Oh, my gosh. I had so much fun playing. I, I've, the only pressure that I really felt because my parents held a lot of pride with knowing that I was going to play her. And there were so many similarities because of the faith aspect, me actually growing up in the church and knowing who Mahalia was. And they they were just really uh, proud of that. But the pressure for me came from the singing. And uh, like, I don't know if people know, I sang every song in that movie, every song. You actually listen to it on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that was my next question. So I'm like, no, I know. <laughs> You know, I sang all the music. And I think for me, that was the pressure because in our community that she was the queen of gospel. And if you can't sing, then what are you doing? You know, you can look like her, but if you don't have the soul, if it's not coming from the depths of your soul and the fingertips and your toes, then what are you doing? Yeah. And uh, so I felt like, I had a lot to prove there, but what was so cool, a lot of gospel artists reached out to me and even Tamla Mann, who's in The Color Purple, was like, girl, I know you could sing like that. That was you. And um, people like John P. Key, all of these legends that I had listened to growing up were like hitting me up in the DMs. And I was like, this is amazing. Jacqueline Carr, like, I was like, this is cool. Um, but it, that one, I still, to be honest, Jacqueline, I loved that experience, but I feel like we should have, I want to play her again with a huge budget, huge yeah. movie, because I feel like her story is worth that. She had such influence on people like Elvis. And I just feel like even, you know, civil rights movement. So I, I feel like we should really give her her due and do it right uh, and, and with the budget that it deserves. So I, that's one I mean, thing I mean, you still got the Emmy, girl. Like, so y'all didn't do it completely <laughs> wrong. Like, y'all still got the Emmy no, nomination. It was great. I mean, and it, it was, was well watched. I remember yeah. everybody, like, that was another one of those, like, people were tuning in. And now we're in a point where people don't tune into shows anymore. You had people tuning in being like, what network is this on? But I'm going to watch this as it's coming out. But yeah, no, we're going to. I mean, look, let's talk to the next writer. Let's get, you know, yeah. Coleman just did Rustin. You can do Mahalia. I'm grateful for um, Lifetime because what they did do was they do empower women. And I yeah. love that about them. You know, they they had my back on that when a lot of people said no to that project. They had my back and said yes. And so. Uh, and you're right. We did get Emmy nominated for um, best movie. Uh, that was amazing. But I, I do feel like there's some more to be explored. <laughs> there's definitely more to be explored. I want to bring it to um, the color purple because we, we don't have that much more time. But you've talked so much about everything. They've talked about Helena. They've talked about, you know, what you kind of had to do with Sophia. But there's a moment in the film that I don't think gets talked about enough because it's the more 
difficult moment. And that's the places you have to go to feel beaten down as Sophia in the latter half of the film. Look, I'm not saying anything against everything that you're doing, but when people are voting for you, they're voting for what you're doing in those moments because you are moving us so deeply. Because the vibrancy we see in Sophia, the uncompromising, unapologetic version we see of her, when we see that get cowed, it feels like a crucifixion. Mm. And it feels like, um, you know, an exorcism in a sort of way because it literally takes her soul away. And that is a very dark place to go to as a Black woman. It is a place mm-hmm. we go to without wanting to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know what your process is for those moments because you still have to be, as I like to say, Black people are not afforded the luxury of being method, mm-hmm. but we still have to give it up like we do. So how mm-hmm. do you sort of like process that day, stay in those moments? Because the movie says, again, you got to do 10, sometimes 12 takes like yes. that. So yeah. how did you sort of logistically break down that part of it? Yeah, there's so much layers to that. Um, one is you have to go as high as you can. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to earn those moments if I don't give you so much joy and so much happiness. And like you find ways for you to really root for this woman who is is fighting for her power and saying no to the abuse and like where you fall in love with her. I needed the audience to really like, like kind of like bring her to the them and say, Oh my gosh, I like, this is the one I love her. And then that's when I'm able to go to the deepest of places. And, and how you said you really, you feel her in that way. Like you, when you go to that place, you have to, and it, I don't know, so many things I'm thinking about right now. One is, it's about what I've been calling ancestry work, blood work, because you have to call on people that come before you. And the way I've been feeling about it is like, I've had to like, wrap myself into a room like that jail scene it felt like I just was like you know what I want all of the ancestors all of the women all of the people who have felt abused abandoned felt small I want to hear their voices in this moment and then I also went back to Jacqueline the book and I think about what Alice Walker wrote that we aren't even able to showcase Right. We're not even able to see. They talk about Sophia's that she got beat up so bad. Her ribs were cracked. Her skull was cracked. They talk about her tongue being so swollen. It looked like the size of Celie's arm. We can't show that. But I can I can express that internally of what she just experienced. And I say you go back to the ancestors because I think about women like Fannie Lou Hamer, who was fighting for voter voting rights and was incarcerated, beaten, and exposed. And so it just got quiet. And um, I let them speak to me. And then that scene where Celie comes in to give Sophia that Thanksgiving meal, and we see that I, my face rise up when she talks about her children. That's the moment I decided to lift my head because that was like her little bit of hope. And you see her bruised, It wasn't written in there that I said, "Uh, please don't leave me. That was a moment where I actually 
I went with the spirit of what this moment felt like. And I improv that line, please don't leave me. And so that's what this part has been. And it's, I love how you describe, like, unfortunately, we aren't always given the, the freedom to be method. And thank God, because it kind of could be detrimental to us because of the trauma that our ancestors have endured. It could be traumatic for us to be that method. But I then credit Juilliard for teaching me how to pull back and say, okay, this is, I can take it this far, but now I have the skills to safely come out of those deep, dark places. And, you know, I haven't experienced a lot of the things that Sophia has with the abuse, you know, because my mom has, and a lot of women in my family have had trauma like Celie, you know, but they were my Sophia. They they fought for me so that I would not have to go through the sexual abuse that they experienced, you know? And so I just feel like with Sophia, she's just, she's just given me everything that I've needed, taught me so much about myself, When I felt like I wasn't enough, I was able to find and own my power through her. She's taught me how to be a better mom to my daughter and how to fight like I was describing, like my parents and mom and women in my family, like that woman, Miss Annie Edge, my godmother who gave me money to attend Juilliard, fought for my dream. There's just so many Sophias out there and I'm grateful that I was able to embody her and be that representation for so many women um, who see themselves in her, who want to become her, but also like who are inspired by how I move. A part of my story is watching The Color Purple on Broadway for the first time. You know, my first Broadway show was watching it at, in 2005. You're 15, um, right? It was 15, yeah. And um, in 2015, it was like like November of 2015, I think is when we opened on Broadway when I got to star in it 10 years later. And I say that because just the other day, my friend was in Bahamas and she ran into this girl she did not know. And she heard a conversation being said about me. And the girl was saying, Danielle Brooks is my favorite actress right now because I see myself in her. Like I I see myself in her and what she did with that role. And so it goes back to, for me, what we were talking about with Angela, the beacon of possibility. That's what now I get to be for somebody is a beacon of hope and that they can too find their passion and pursue it. So I just, um. This journey that I'm on, I'm very grateful for it. The ups and the downs of it, the twists and the turns, the valleys and the mountains, I would not take it back for anything. I'm very grateful that this role has found me and taught me the lessons that it has about myself. It's just um, it's just the best gift ever. That's all I can say. <laughs> I love that one. 
This is going to be my last one because, girl, we went to church on this again, again. Um, we're going to talk a little DC because um, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Keeping that you're Viola Davis's, uh, Miss Viola Davis's daughter a secret. Like that oh. must have been for Peacemaker. Like the fact that you played Amanda Waller's daughter, like that was like a good little secret to reveal. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are y'all doing right here? And again, another full circle moment, Juilliard to Juilliard. Um, do you have any? Because like James says, it's halfway written. Like, what's what's up? What's up with Peacemaker? I go by everything Twitter says or James Gunn writes on Twitter. And from my understanding, he says he's halfway done. And that man is halfway done writing Peacemaker. <laughs> he's pretty much a truth teller on there. So uh, I do believe that we will get started on it this year. Don't quote me on that, even though I'm sure you'll quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Peacemaker is coming back. I do know that. So I'm excited for that. I'm also excited. And as you're so right, like getting to like play Bola Davis's daughter, I was so excited. I didn't get much screen time work because we were always talking to each other in that first season on Zooms and phones because of COVID. But uh, I do look forward to hopefully having some scenes with her in person and also learning from her and adding her to the coolest actors I've worked with. Um, uh, and then going into Minecraft, that's my next move with Jason Momoa and with uh, Jack Black, who I just met at the Golden Globes. Oh, y'all just met at that one, right? Yeah, yeah oh, we got yeah. to take a picture together and everything. And uh, I'm like over the moon about working with him because he's someone that I've followed when we talk about comedy chops, um, someone that I've followed for a very long time and uh, studied in a way because uh, he's so funny, man. So I'm excited to learn how he moves on a set and how he improvs and how he just brings what he does to the screen. So yeah, a lot of things to look forward to. I'm very excited. Um, if you could just sum up, because uh, you've read the script, we haven't. What's Minecraft? Give us like the tagline. Because like, we don't know. It's a video game. So y'all can go anywhere with it. I mean, it could be Super Mario, like what they did. Or it could be like something like The Last of Us. It could be anything. We don't know what they're going to do. What do you, what do you, give me like a, a little, a little amuse-bouche on Minecraft. And that's my last question. All I know is, it's being directed by Jared Hess. And it's shot in New Zealand. So... Just get go look up some pictures of New Zealand. And if you are a Minecraft fan, you already know the landscape of that. So if you know that the vast beauty of New Zealand is coming to your screen. So we're going to be doing a lot of um, I don't know. I can't even tell you. I really don't know. I know you can't. It's OK. It's I'm okay. totally trying to like make this interesting. No. And it's falling to pieces because I really can't you, tell you. Anything. No, you can't tell me anything. It's OK. I'm not going to get you in trouble. I want you yeah. to keep making that bank. So thank you very much. Um, <laughs> um, get some rest. It's a very long season and you will be in it for a long time. So yes. rest and hydrate. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Rest and hydrate. I will take your advice on that. Thank you for listening to the Awards Tour podcast. The Awards Tour podcast is hosted by Jacqueline Coley and is a production of Rotten Tomatoes. Executive producer, Fran Salamita. Legal services provided by Brian Arsham. Graphics by Des Anano. Social media support by Anthony Alessia and Emily Catlett. Producer, Brian Perez. Edited by Brian Perez and written by Jacqueline Coley.
Thank you.